Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. I'm your host, Coach Todd Halls. Excited to be with you today. I'm so grateful that you are tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm excited to introduce our guest today and, and have an opportunity for him to share with you and you get to know him. Our guest is uh, Johnny Serpilla. Uh, Johnny is he's a husband. He's a dad. He is now an author. He's an active public speaker and a promoter of reshaping thoughts through difficult times to accept, grow, and eventually thrive. And I can't wait for you to get to know him. Johnny, with that, if you would fill in anything else that you think our listeners should know. Well, the first thing they need to know is that I love the name of your podcast. It is powerful. It is a really cool name. And it, ironically, it's one of the chapters in my book, the name of one of my chapters is Why Not Us? And so those are really, really powerful words, Todd, that that statement conditions our mind to be prepared for life that is coming at us. And if everyone could grasp that concept, they'd have more strength for their journey. So thank you, number one, for putting that message out there so strongly in your title. Absolutely. So what, um, for you, if you could go a little deeper on that, why, what's, why does it resonate? Tell us a little bit about that chapter or even about the, the, the book. So I, th I think the concept resonates to me because of the way that I was raised. Um, you know, I was raised by very committed, loving parents. Uh, they were strict. Uh, but I cannot recall a time in my life that I did not think that it could be worse wasn't applicable. You know, my parents, when anything would happen, uh, would always say, you know, Johnny, it could be worse. Or, you know, let's be thankful that it's only this. Or I know this is a lot. But again, it could be worse. And, you know, for some reason, Todd, I never, I can never recall fighting that train of thought. Maybe because it was just ingrained in me so young and I was so blessed that my parents conditioned me that way for what was coming in life. So that anytime anything happened, it truly was not the idea of why me. Because when we live in a world, as we do today, with so much tragedy happening around us daily, I mean, you turn on the news, it's just tragic what's going on in other people's lives. Why would we ever think that we should be exempt from that? What makes one of us elevated in a way that we should not experience whatever comes our way and really embrace it with a thought of, why not us? And I think when we do that, we're prepared. So number one, I think I was just raised with that thinking. And then as I write in our book, and again, this is my first book, so this is new to me as an author, but it's our life story. It's the memoir of uh, my life with my wife, 
uh, from the ages of about 25 to 33, which were some really dark uh, times, some really hard times, yet joyful times. And I write this book in tribute to my wife, who was just a warrior. I mean, she showed strength in our journey uh, beyond what was required. And so I'm doing this in a lot of ways to honor her and uh, honor those that we lost. So when did you know that you had to write this book? That's a great question. Um, you know, I knew it um, years ago um, when our story began, and our story is a story of infertility um, and struggle and loss um, to form a family. And so as I would tell our story over the years, so many people would say, you know, Johnny, you have to write a book. And, you know, I thought about it, and it, it, at times I thought, you know, it's almost too sad to write a book. Um, I don't think it's a book that anyone would want to read uh, be, because as we tell the story, it, it brought out so much empathy and, and we're not ones for self-pity. And, and, and so at, at times that thought of writing the book seemed unnatural, like I would be putting it out there as if what had happened to us is worse than what happened to others. And then I really learned as my business career went on um, how much our story changed the man that I was, the leader that I was, the business executive that I was. And as I went on to have thousands and thousands of employees and play a large role in leading a huge company, I realized that our story did set me apart uh, in the way that I approached kind of humanity in dealing with our employees and people that we cared about that were bringing so much value to our business. And so I think through that, Todd, I started thinking about it. Uh, when I retired from corporate America at 50, I realized that um, I was now maybe qualified to start working uh, in, in a different capacity. And I thought, you know, I have the time now and I have uh, maybe the wisdom now to do this and to, and to do it properly. So that's why I, I committed uh, to paper to, to get it written. Yeah, so... Not sure what order to go in. If we should, if we should share the story a little bit. Um, the title of the book is "Life Is Hard, But I'll Be Okay," right? Yes. So, we'll, I think we'll come back to that. You mentioned, um, and my word is transformational, but or transformed. Your leadership style changed over over time, and because of this, at least that's the way it seemed. Like you recognize that this experience changed the way you were leading and interacting with people. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. What I realized um, after the tragedy that we experienced, um, and, and, and I'll quickly say that and we can circle back to it, but in our years of infertility, uh, we were blessed with uh, triplets and uh, Nicholas, Mary, and Peter were born, but sadly their lives uh, were short and they passed away uh, as babies. And after the funeral, it was time to uh, you know, resume life and re return back to work. And I realized that the company that I was running, that was my family business, that I had permitted and tolerated a level of disrespect at work and a culture that wasn't ultimately serving people that in the eight to 10 hours that they put in at work each day, that put them in the best position to go home, to play the role of mother, father, sister, brother, grandfather, grandmother, caregiver, friend, whatever their real purpose was in life, I realized that I wasn't creating a culture for them to go and be their best. 
And when you do that, when you allow that culture to exist and they go home and there is some negative things that happen, I felt that some of that was on me for creating a mindset in them during their day that they felt weakened, maybe disempowered and they, they go home and then they try to exert power and they do it negatively. And so it started from there that I realized that everybody has their own tough story. Everyone has their challenge that they're bringing into work. I had a charmed life up to that point and came into work with a smile on my face every day. And I realized that I deserve to show them the same respect that I felt that I needed, that I had to change my culture at work because I'd get up, I'd go to the cemetery, I'd spend some time there, I'd go to work, I'd come home. On the way home, I'd stop at the cemetery. My wife and I agreed that we'd stop going there so much, yet sometimes I'd stop on my way home and she was already there. And that's kind of how our mornings and nights started. And other people have their struggles as well. And so it changed me. And, and what a, what a world it would be if every business owner, if every leadership team recognized that. And I've talked about this several times with people just in the last few days, the responsibility, the obligation uh, as business owners that we have to create a culture that, um, that our, our people want to be part of, that empowers them. They leave at the end of the day as excited as, as at the beginning of the day. On Sunday night, when they're thinking about the work week, they're actually looking forward to getting to work, to getting back with the team. So, um, and all the while, a culture that recognizes that everybody's got a backpack and it's got, it's got their weight in it. And if we, can, if we can just look over, you know, Johnny, that backpack looks heavy today. Can I take some of it? Can I help you? you know, um, so how did you go about creating that culture? What, 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 what were some of the things you did? The first thing I did is I gathered the team all together and I brought them together to announce. Um, and they were all kind. So many of the employees had about 70 employees at the time. So many of them came to the funeral. They were very supportive. But I brought them together to say that I'm recognizing the deficiencies that our company has in terms of self-respect, in terms of creating a genuine environment. We were in the recreational vehicle industry. We were serving families to provide for their leisure and their pleasure and their vacation time. We're in a joyous space. And how can we deliver genuine customer service if our team members weren't happy themselves? They're not actors. My employees were clearly not actors. I'm not an actor. And so for them to be treated poorly, to be mistreated, to be berated, to be uh, criticized and, and not lifted up and then turn and when a customer walks in and smile and give them great service, how's that possible? It's not even fair to ask of that. And so what I did is I brought the company together and I said, look, it's, it's time for some changes here and I need this for my own survival. But I'm hoping that it will help all of you as well. And so we're going to go through a change and it's called forward focus. And I created forward focus because that's literally the direction I needed to look, Todd, because when I looked back, it was too dark. And so I recognize in forward focus thinking, it's what I liked about myself. It's where my strengths were. It's where problem solving was. Um, it's where the solutions were. 
And it's where I valued people around me. And backward thinking would be where my insecurities are, my deficiencies, um, blaming other people, looking at others as holding me back. And the problems were in backward thinking. So I told them, we're going to go on this journey. And at the end of one year, I'm going to reevaluate the employment of every single person in the company. And at the end of that year, and there was a lot of training, there was written communication, there was classroom sessions, um, there was um, behavioral modification um, of, of, of leaders and managers. Um, some grabbed it easier than others, some fought it, some employees fought it. But at the end, I parted ways with two critical people to our organization that were uh, very important to the business, but they were a cancer to the culture. And the others really recognized that I was serious about it. And from that point forward, our business took off. It grew exponentially. We were uh, voted and awarded the, the number one dealer in the country out of more than 3,000 dealers. It was just amazing what happened from that point. And so I know firsthand that changing that corporate culture, it is good business. Yeah. And what, what comes to mind, a couple things. Um, a, it's, um, it starts with the leadership you know, the, to, to make a change like that. So you, you need to, to step in and say, we need to do something different. Uh, but you can't do it yourself. You had to, you know, and you mentioned as some of the people were bought in, and I'm sure that that helped gain momentum and get it going. Um, but it has to start at the top. And as much as I like egalitarian, um, uh, sometimes some there needs to be the impetus, right? The the driver. Um, secondly, you mentioned these these two key people that were a cancer, and I've seen this played out in my own business history and, and many others. These critical people that you just, well, what are we going to do without them? Well, we, they're, they're, they're critical. And maybe it's not obvious, but you get this sense that may, something's not right. Or, and sometimes it's super obvious, like this person just does not align with, with what we're doing. Um, and eventually something happens and that breaks. So they, you part ways and you see the rest of the team just kind of, at least for me, just kind of rally and fill in and, and the boat rises like that. Once that weight is gone, the boat starts to skim across the water and you realize that this person that was critical was really more of an anchor than a, than a boost, no matter how productive they seem to be by themselves. That is so true. I mean, when we play Monday morning quarterback, I've always looked back and said, oh my gosh, why didn't we do this sooner? Why didn't we recognize <laughs> the challenge that it was? And it's always so interesting, the employees then that feel the freedom to speak up you only think it was so bad. And then after that person's gone, you find out how awful, incredibly awful it was. And it was on your watch as a leader. And that was a responsibility that was hard for me to take to recognize that I can play part in that. And so what I, I'd love to do is challenge. And I challenged my team at Camping World for many years that when you want to stand up to be a supervisor, manager, director, VP, executive VP, whatever that role is, you know, making the, your team successful is your primary job when you come to work every day. But the problem in corporate America is everyone's so willing to step on someone else's back to rip them down, to create a new pathway for them for growth that leaders, presidents, CEOs often fall trapped to that and they get played. And so 
you know, in, in the consulting work I do today, in the board work I do today, um, both public companies, private companies, charitable organizations, you know, the leadership piece is really where I like to naturally go because I know that our boards are surrounded with incredibly talented people in a variety of disciplines. The company is as well. Uh, but from a leadership perspective and everybody that is a leader in the company, they can get played by the people around them oftentimes for their own selfish gain. It's transparent, it's obvious, and it's done in countless organizations. And we just need to be able to be leaders to recognize it and see it and, and not fall, fall to it. So anyway, it's a challenge that I enjoy putting out there and it's a way to reframe thoughts and organizations as well as I've needed to reframe thoughts for my own survival. Thank you. Um, going back to your, uh, your change, your, your reshaping of your own thoughts. So you've described this period after the triplets, uh, died and you and your wife are both spending time at the cemetery. And, and then from there, we, we, we shifted to having this change in culture at work, right? So was there a moment? Was there a trigger? Like at what, when did you stand up and realize, like, what was it that made you just go, okay, that's, that's it. We're changing. It was one specific moment in therapy. So Dr. Barbara Fordyce uh, was the psychologist that we saw during our infertility years to help us through that. And so it was, it was convenient uh, for us to already have established a relationship with when, when Nicholas, Mary and Peter died. And so it was in therapy one day, and I, I really learned what cognitive restructuring was all about. Um, and I saw the opportunity for post-traumatic growth that I desperately needed. And it was in, in therapy one day when I said to Barb that I refused to let go of Nicholas, Mary, and Peter. I said, Barb, I can't do it. I won't do it. Um, at, by this point, um, we had um, adopted um, our oldest son. Bo and Bo was an infant, and I was feeling awful uh, for feeling so happy and so joyful. And the guilt um, of a baby in my arms and knowing that three babies were in a grave, it just felt unnatural to me. Uh, and, and it isn't the natural order of death, right? Yeah, a parent shouldn't bury a child. And so I said to Barb, I just, I won't let go of them. I'm not going to do it. And what Barb said changed my life that day, Todd. That was the day that I said, I can see this differently. Barb said to me, Johnny, you do not need to let go of Nicholas, Mary, and Peter. You can hold on to them as tight as you would like to. But you do need to let go of the dreams that you had for them in this world because they will not happen. The dream of coaching them, the, green, the dream of you know, raising them and where they'll go to college and their times at their weddings. Um, all those amazing times in life, they're not going to be. And so she gave me permission, Todd, to hold on to them in a way that I can still be their dad and I can still parent our children in heaven. And I could live in the day that we're in today and, and do both. And so that was the day it changed for me. What, what a gift those, those few words were. Amazing. So my experience has been um, nothing happens 
Well, things changed in an instant, but the change didn't happen in an instant. Right. So if you would share with us the, the like the then what's the process? Um, you you talked about um, cognitive restructuring and I think it was post traumatic growth. So unpack those. Like take us on that journey, if you would. So again, in you know the book, the subtitle of the book is the power of hope emerging through pain and learning to live with gratitude. And probably that last line, um, learning to live with gratitude. You know, when, when traumatic things happen, where's gratitude? And it's off, oftentimes not at the top of mind. And I'm a, an anxious guy. I, I used to refer to myself as an active thinker until I was diagnosed with anxiety. And I realized then, you know, that principle that with an attitude of gratitude, there can be no anxiety. And so the only way to get rid of my anxious thoughts is to practice gratitude. And that was something that became a discipline that I had to do. And so I would challenge myself, you know, kind of along the lines of cognitive restructuring, you know, which is really a technique that's been used to successfully help people change the way they think. Um, when used for stress management, which is certainly the way that I needed it, the goal is to produce, to replace, excuse me, those um, stressful producing thoughts, cognitive distortions oftentimes, with a more balanced thought so that we can reduce our stress. In my case, they really weren't cognitive distortions because the reality of what happened to Nicholas, Mary, and Peter were real. And I had a problem really thinking that how would that not happen again? Because again, I already subscribed to the why not us theory. Why not me? is a mantra that I live by. So I would never think because the worst happened once, it can't happen again. I would never think that. And so what I had to do was challenge my thinking on the basis of it, asking myself questions, is this thought realistic? Am I basing this thought on facts or feelings? And are there any evidence for these thoughts? You know, it, it, could I be misinterpreting the evidence that is there? Or could I be taking a feeling that I have and extrapolating up into an anxious thought and then creating actions which can have a ripple effect on the way I parent, the way I am as a husband, the way I am as a business leader? And so that cognitive restructuring became critical to me. And as my anxiety ramped up over the years, because as we were blessed with children, you know, through difficult paths, which I talk about in the book, only more stressful and anxious thoughts happened as time went on. And as, you know, severe illnesses happened to my kids and, and to them, you know, all three of my kids, you know, suffer with um, lifelong illnesses today. And, and they too have never gone down the path of why, why me? And so, you know, with my youngest son's diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis um, about a year ago when he was 21 years old, you know, he, he never said those words one time. And I'm so incredibly proud of him for, for taking on this recent challenge in his life um, of contracting a disease that there is no known cure for. And to, you know, live the next 60, 70 years of his life, you know, fighting pain every day. Um, he's never had that thought. And so, 
you know, somehow we must have passed that along to our kids in the process. As you, well, A, um, somehow you must have, uh, the, the seeds the seeds were planted, which speaks to, <clears throat> as, as leaders, whether at work or in this case at home, somebody's watching. Uh, the, the, it may not be vocalized, but obviously your son watched how you handled everything, how you carried yourself when I'm sure there were other difficulties that came up, challenges as he was growing up, and how you, how you faced them made an impression because now here he is um, modeling that, right? Li- living it out in his own life. Um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. It is. I think, you know, post-traumatic growth, you know, you look at how do we take loss and how do we grow from it? And since we're not exempt from hardships, um, and Bo and Bella, as they each deal with their own medical issues, um, we're not exempt. And so, and they can't define us. It's natural to let us, let them define us. It's natural to fall to vices that are harmful, um, that provide temporary relief um, of, of pain, but are really more pain producing um, in many other ways. And so I think when we feel this, um, when we acknowledge this, when we reframe our minds, we can become a better human, a better friend, a better partner. And it's because of that loss. And so when you are gaining, in strength, in character, in humility, in kindness, and all those things, how do you not look back at the genesis of that improvement with anything but gratitude? And so that's really the only way that I've been able to really deal with my anxious thoughts, to deal with the uh, stress and pressures of life, is to just stay in gratitude. So you are somebody that's been able to practice this for a number of years, and I get the sense that you um, have gotten pretty pretty good at it. And when I'm, when I'm talking about when I say good at it, it's just being aware of the thoughts that are creeping in. Um, because it seems, at least for me, it may start as a small thought, like hardly even recognizable. Like maybe it's a, and I'll use this as an example because it just came up the other day, but maybe it's a, hey, are you good enough type thought? Or 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 maybe it's this little thing like, should you really make that call to him? What, do you think he wants to talk to you? And and, and they kind of compound, right? And and for you, you mentioned just having anxious thoughts. Well, and I, I don't know what those might be, but maybe it's a, well, what if this happens? And then that could happen. And if that happens, what do we do? So how do you recognize them? Is there is there some sort of tip or trick to recognize them early and replace them, get them shut down so we don't spiral? You know, if, if, if I mastered that, I'd have the, the secret to happiness. And so I can tell you that, Todd, it's a, it's a daily fight. Uh, for me, it's something that daily I need to be aware of. So I have not mastered this thinking. I have um, been consistent with it. But in the times of my inconsistency, it's really when when I struggle. Um, you know, for me, I think when I listen to myself and when I listen to what I teach in front of the lecture hall or in front of employees um, or on podcasts or in conversation, when I listen to myself, my life is better. When I fall backwards um, and I let a, a thought take seed and plant and implant and get rooted in me and I 
allow it to spiral up into something. It's funny the times that I can catch it quickly and I'll be like, Johnny, you're not doing that. Just, just stop, just stop. And other times that I miss it. And all of a sudden I'm at a point of anxious thought, um, mostly rooted in worry uh, of, of other people. Um, I'm, I'm really comfortable with my own mortality. Um, and too comfortable. My wife and kids, you know, tell me that I, I speak of too much comfort, but I just know that they're such good people and they're so happy. And the four of them are so good together um, that I, it does make me feel complete. But I know that when I allow that worry to, to go up higher in my mind and I find that I let it get too far out of whack, um, I had to learn meditation. Um, you know, I turned to prayer. I meditate. And I have to try to reel myself back down. And sometimes it's a long climb down because I can't even recall how I got started on this path. If you can catch it early enough, um, and, and really, you know, Barb taught us a, a trick, uh, putting a rubber band around our wrist and having it there every day. And when we started having a thought, literally taking the rubber band and snapping us, right? Snapping ourselves so it hurt. And it kind of like a Pavlov, you know, dog training here. And, you know, it was to stop that stinking thinking, right? And there were days that I'd wear that rubber band and, and my wrist was bright red. Um, and other days that I didn't snap it and my wrist was fine, but my soul was crushed. And so you really do need to learn to recognize when the starts thought like, where's this path going to go? And also the thought of learning that not every thought that you have, you have to do anything with. And that was the hardest one for me to get to, Todd, because I'm a deep thinker. I'm an active talker. I like to take something and wrestle with it and then engage in good conversation, even if it's spirited conversation. I love that. I want to get all around it. And I was I was taught through an executive uh coaching program that I went through in my early 40s, uh, the idea of somebody challenging me with, Johnny, why are you even thinking that? Why are you even entertaining that thought? And it was natural for me to say, no, you have to. You have a thought. You got to process it. You got to deal with it, right? You got to package it up, put it in a bow and move it on. And they taught me that I don't have to do that. I could literally take a thought and say, no not in this mind, not today, you're done, out, and let it go, and not process it, and not wonder where it came from, or any of those things. That gave me a freedom as well. Again, that's really hard to do, but it is something that, that serves me well when life is hard. But if I can remember that I'm going to be okay, right, I can deal with those better. As you shared uh, about, uh, you don't have to deal with the thought. The immediately, um, I pictured a weed growing in, like through the patio, like through the crack control joint, through the crack in the patio. And I saw this weed, and like, do we just pluck it and get rid of it? That's that would be the seem to be the the best thing to do, um, or do we step over it? Do we do we take a look at it? Do we water it a little bit and? And if we start thinking about those negative thoughts, like the weed, 
the natural, what everybody would just almost automatically do is you just pluck it and get rid of it. It doesn't need nurturing. It doesn't need growth. It doesn't. And, and so many times we fertilize that weed, right? With, with more thoughts, <laughs> we fertilize it and we encourage it to grow. We become its biggest supporter. And in, in our story as, and I have to say, I learned so much of this from my wife and living it because, you know, we went through our infertility we went through fighting to have children, um, being desperate in, in actions and going around the, the world literally to adopt um, in, in the roughest, um, dangerous places in the country. And, you know, we, we found ourselves with my intensity and her natural calm. Um, it, it really was a perfect mix. And Susan taught me and I, I wrote this book to honor my wife because literally the way that I'm talking to you, Todd, that I know comes off a little half-baked and a little anxious and a little intense, um, literally, you know, God created for me the woman that is just pure balance, enjoy, not anxious at all, calm, rational in thought. That's probably the other way that I get rid of some of those thoughts because if I'm smart enough to verbalize them when I have them, Susan will be like, what are you doing? Stop. Where'd that come from? And, and then I could have an outside force telling me, ha, that's one of those thoughts. I see where it's going to take me and I'm not going to do it. But, you know, that, that saying, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That certainly applies in our spouses as well. And so I, I'm here today surviving, actually thriving rather than surviving today because of my wife and because of the woman that she was in our story and what she's been for consistency for me through all these years. When you made the decision, like after that, after that moment at the therapist's office and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to change. And um, how did your wife, um, what was her initial reaction? Did you did you actually vo vocalize it to her, or did you just go into work and start making changes as a leader? Like, if, and I'm getting personal, but if you would, what were some of those conversations during that transition time when you were done looking back and started looking forward? We were blessed with a, a couple coming to our house the night before the funeral that had lost a child, and they told us, um, and we did not know them well became dear friends with them, but we did not know them well at the time. And they told us that more than half of couples that lose a child end up in divorce and that we're going to grieve differently. And, and we're going to grieve at different times. And one of us is going to be up and the other is going to be down. And so we really took their advice in and we committed to each other that we're going to always understand each other in, in terms of where we're each of us were on the healing process. You know, I have to say that Susan's healing was not only emotional like mine, but she had the whole physical component. And, you know, her body changing, um, you know, producing breast milk um, and having no babies to give it to, right? And, and having her body have to go through all of those changes. So we were on the same journey, but we were on different paths. Um, and the difference between a man and a woman in those, in, in, in that topic. And we had to stay really respectful of each other and acknowledge that we could have a pact 
that, you know, we're not going to go to the cemetery or we could have a pact that we're not going to talk about it today. But if the other broke that pact, there was no anger in that. There had to just be complete understanding. And we recognized that there was nights we'd go to bed and we were both fine and we'd wake up and one of us was falling apart and couldn't go to work. So we clung together and many couples in stress, they pull apart. Um, we just used our faith and leaned into it. And, you know, we, we've, we've joked with the kids that we've done them in an injustice because my wife and I truly do not fight. We are, we don't argue. Um, I think it comes Todd from those early days of pain that I'll do anything to, to keep her whole and healthy and she'll do anything for me. And so you know, we built six houses together um, from scratch. And people say, oh, I bet you want to kill each other in that process. No, what she wants, she gets. What I want, she lets me have. I mean, we just, it, we're not going to fight about those things. So we've kind of laughed with the kids over the years that sometimes we'd be driving in the car and, you know, she'd say, where do you want to go for dinner? And I'd say, let's go here. And she'd say, no, I don't want to go there. Let's go here. And you'd hear somebody in the backseat chirping, stop fighting. And we're like, Oh, guys, we are so sorry, but that's not how mom and dad, that's not a fight. Um, we're just talking about where we're going for dinner. And so, I, again, that's because of her. As a crazy, full-blooded Italian, you know, I can get pretty passionate about things, but she keeps us rooted. It's, uh, it's always, it's, it's so cool to hear uh, about your relationship and how God just knew like, okay, if, if I'm going to, if, if Johnny's going to have the impact that I want him to have, I need, I need him paired up with Susan because without her, it's just not going to work out the way it is. It's supposed to. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that, I'm, that's I'm pausing, completely so, true. And, and I, I'm pausing cause I'm getting caught up in my thoughts about my, about my wife and, and how, Similarly, I, I don't know where I'd be if it weren't for Nina. Like it's, uh, it, it's just an amazing to be able to go on the journey of life with somebody that compliments you so well. So um, I'm happy for you guys Thank that you. you are. Well, I'm happy for you, you and Nina as well, because, you know, when we recognize that, you know, it, again, life can be hard, but, you know, we can, we can stay together. We can fight through things together. And, and that's where, you know, we come out now. And I, I think maybe now, you know, when I think about the earth, to your earlier question about, you know, writing the book and, and why, and, you know, I think I'm just at a point in my life uh, with extreme clarity. Uh, reflection comes a little easier with age. True, honest reflection. And reflecting on feelings that I'm proud of, feelings that I'm ashamed of, um, actions that I wish I would have done differently, both professionally, sometimes personally. And, you know, we have to take these different stages of life. I'm a big believer in stages and phases of life. And when I hit 50, it was that time for me to recognize, what am I going to do with the second half of life, if you will? And, you know, am I going to be able to maximize this, maximize this for God's glory and for being the best man that I can be? Or am I going to rest on my laurels? And, and I chose to recreate myself in the 50s and um, started doing a lot of things that I didn't know how to do. And um, I'm, I'm having a ball in that process. And it's, it's a little humbling at times from going 
at the top of a huge multi-billion dollar company um, to going out on my own and just saying, I'm going to invest in companies and start my own family office and just do work that I'm passionate about and, and not care about having thousands of employees and, um, and just serving. And it's a little, it's a little nerve wracking, but it's that time in my life. And that's, that's where the book came from this time and space. Cool. My friend, uh, my friend, Don Hoffert, who I met through CBMC, um, calls it the refirement uh, period. Like he's, he's like, there's no, there's no th- such thing as retirement. You, you just, you, you find well where you're going to get refired, what's going to energize you, where your passions are, and you go serve there. So to anybody listening, that's at that midpoint and you're wondering what's the next phase of life look like, uh, it's refirement. So find, find something you're passionate and a place to serve and, and go do it. Boy, I love that. Johnny, when's the book? When's the, when can we get a hold of this book? I can't wait to read it. So the book is released on June 21st. Uh, so it will be available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold online. Uh, there will, will be an audio book. I'm recording that right now, um, as well as uh, digital uh, books are available as well. So, you know, it's it's really an honor to have put this story out there. It's a story of resilience. And, and yes, it's it's set against the the backdrop of our struggle to build a family. But Todd, it was really written for anyone who experienced life being hard. It's written for anyone who is the support system uh, to those people, because I, I speak so much about my village, um, the, the people that were so good to us and carried us, our closest friends, our family, um, the faith group that we were part of from church that literally carried us in those times. and. And so it's a book of resilience and hope. And uh, I, I will say that the storyline is a little tough. Um, and, and, and it was at times hard to write and maybe at times hard to read. Uh, I can say that at times I, I looked back and I almost felt badly for that couple. Um, and then, you know, I realized that we were that couple. And but it's there's a lot of hope and there's there is a good ending. Um, there is. Um, purpose, I think, given to Nicholas, Mary, and Peter's life uh, through the writing of the book and the lessons and the life lessons that I and others uh, can glean from it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm looking forward to June 21st. Before we, as we we seek to land the plane here, um, if you would share with our listeners one question that, that you feel would be important or impactful for them to be asking themselves? Well, I'll tell you what, that one comes to me quickly because there's an important part of the book that I write about it in, in the beginning. Um, and that chapter is called The Question. It's the preface to the book. And I was asked a question when I was speaking to about 400 college seniors at a university. And it was a business presentation. It was all the business students of the college, the marketing, accounting, finance, all the classes were canceled for that day because I was coming in and they brought all the seniors together in a lecture hall. And at the conclusion of my business presentation, uh, somebody asked me, a young man asked me this question, what do I wish I knew when I was sitting in his seat that would prepare me for the life that I was about to live? And that question, Todd, almost knocked me over. 
And the answer came quickly and out of my mouth before I really had time to process it. And that answer was, life is hard, but I'll be okay, which became the title of my book. And so, you know, I, I, I would challenge people to ask that question at any phase of life that they're at, whether you have a listener in their 20s, 30s, 50s, whatever it is, whatever stage they are, what do they wish they knew that would prepare them for the life that they're living or the life that they're going to live? And I would ask them to seek that answer. And maybe through my book, they'll, they'll find my answer to that, that life is hard, but I'm going to be okay. It's, it's going to be okay. And we can rest our hope on that. That's right. Johnny, for the listeners that would like to get in contact with you, uh, learn more about you, where's, where's the best places, best avenues to do so? My website is www.encourage33.com. So that's the name of my family office. My company is called Encourage LLC. It's actually uh, biblical from Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage one another and lift each other up just as you are already doing. And I was praying on that verse after I retired and I thought, <laughs> that is what I love to do to encourage people. So I named my company Encourage. So encourage33.com. 33 is just an incredibly important number in my family. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Johnny Serpilla. Uh, on Facebook as well, on LinkedIn, and uh, the book will be uh, promoted and available um, on all of those avenues and, of course, on my website. Awesome. Johnny, uh, time is precious, and so I just really want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of yours today. appreciate it. I thank you, Todd, for what you're doing, and, and I hope that message of Why Not Me gets out there to more people. Appreciate you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream, no matter how big that God has placed in your heart, remember, you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and live life strong. Peace to you. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.